and welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Welcome to IOM3 Investigates. I'm Catherine Williams, Head of Content at IOM3, and my guest today is Carlo Fiorella, Global Automotive Market Manager at DuPont. The company's been working in technical partnership with the Renault DP World Formula One team, pushing towards a shared goal of developing materials and technologies that tap into the growing trend of electrification and shaping the vehicles of the future. So, Carlo, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Catherine, thanks for having me on, and thanks to Materials World for pulling this together. Um, so, tell me a little bit about how the partnership came about and what you're working on. Yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. You know, the partnership is, is really a multi-year effort where we saw the automotive industry completely reinventing itself with the advent of automotive electrification and really the push towards that on road cars. And at the same time, we saw a few years back that, hey, the automotive racing industry is, is moving in that direction as well. You know, Formula E was gaining traction. Top tier Le Mans prototypes were incorporating battery systems and F1 had gone full hybrid a few years prior. So it made sense as we were working with leading OEMs uh, we were looking at the technology there that we got ourselves a little more involved in the motorsports world. So we went and we met with different teams, different outfits, and we had discussions with Renault and we thought it was a, a really great fit. Not only did Renault own uh, the Renault F1 team, but they also had, of course, the group Renault road cars as well, which were moving hybrid and full electric. So we wanted to be tied into both sides. We know that we have a lot to offer and we, we uh, linked up with Renault and it's been a great partner. So um, obviously, you know, there's, there's kudos in being linked with the Formula One team and so on, but how does it really strengthen DuPont as a business while also benefiting Renault as a team? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a question we get. And, and really in short, uh, you know, we're looking to fast track our product development. So F1 constantly needs to innovate. If you look at the car that they put on the track at the beginning of the year, it's, it's very different from the one at the end of the year. And they're constantly looking for what can they do to improve reliability, performance, weight, thermal efficiency. So how, how can we accelerate those performance attributes, but also improve the sustainability? So in, in mass manufacturing, when we're working with OEM, cycle time for innovation is you know, typically measured in model platforms. It's might be a few years, uh, it might be at, at a minimum, you know, six, 12 months, but in F1, it can really be days or hours. So the idea that we can get a product that we're working on and, you know, it might be a concept, but we can get feedback and iterate on a solution very quickly helps us to advance the team's performance, but it also helps us validate our experimental materials so that we can iterate and, and kind of move from that test basis in F1 to really full-scale commercial trials. So I think what we've done is we've, we've leveraged what we learn both here in F1 and we can apply it to road cars 
but we can also take maybe learnings that we've had from aerospace or defense or consumer electronics, something that the automotive industry might not typically see and therefore it might not find its way into F1 and we can bring that to the F1 team. So we're not taking a product off the shelf, we're kind of creating a solution there and that's just an example of how, you know, the Renault team can come to us and they're not just getting a material, they're getting the inventors of the material, the originators of that product, and they're getting the full solution in the manual book for how to utilize that product. So I think it's pretty exciting. It's a lot of fun for both groups. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, an opportunity to try different things with the materials. It's uh, one of those joys of F1 that people will never tell us about the materials because it's also so secret um so how do you actually then take things from the formula one field and bring it through to the mass market i'm thinking about you know a few years ago carbon fiber was suddenly everywhere after being released from the formula one car set so how do you get the equipment manufacturers on board and take things through to it being in my family car yeah, absolutely, Catherine. And that's, that's one of the great things about this movement to automotive electrification and the sustainability side. If, if you talk about the, the carbon fiber, you're right. I mean, we saw the first carbon fiber monocoques in Formula One back in the early 80s. And now we see carbon fiber in every dealership lot that we go to for different parts of the vehicle, holding it together, pulling out weight. It's the same way with the hybrid electric drivetrain. So when I go and I talk to people about our partnership, they're always surprised to learn that Formula One is the world's most advanced hybrid electric drivetrain. So they all have a hybrid electric motor in there, the MGUK. They have a more advanced uh, MGUH system as well. And then they've got a battery pack. So each time they're going around the track, they're uh, charging and discharging the battery. So we can learn so much from what's going on out there. Uh, specifically, we talk about the, you know, the secrets of the engineering and the architecture of the system. Uh, Renault, in, in, in their RS20, the R this past year, they have a very small, very efficient uh, MGUK unit. And, and there are parts of the insulation in that motor that translate very similarly to what they use in the Renault E-Tech line that's out there on the road. So we're able to take those materials and you know, maybe the performance is, is at cutting edge, whereas we can dial back a little bit of the performance for the road car, because I don't think we all need 900,000 horsepower on the street. So we dial that back a little bit and we can get some of that greater mileage and durability. And that's, that's really the fun part about F1. You know, if you think about the equilibrium there, uh, dial back the performance, gain durability, uh, gain a safety factor, and we can really deploy similar, if not the same materials in the road car as we do in F1. So uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's really a great test bed. It sounds like fun. So how do you um, balance the weight of the battery packs to the cars? Because obviously weight's hugely important for the Formula One. And, you know, we all know electric battery packs get quite chunky when they're in a, a car. So in the, the Formula One car, the, the system and, and the power unit that was introduced uh, back in 2014, there's regulations around the weight of the pack and what, it, what it's allowed to be size-wise. So, you know, in a typical car, if you think about a full battery electric vehicle, the charge in the battery pack is the only source of energy that you have for the duration of driving the vehicle. Uh, when the battery pack is depleted, you must charge it back up. 
and we have just tremendous range in road vehicles these days, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers, uh, which really make it viable for a form of primary transportation for, for most of us. In the Formula One car, what we see is the battery pack regenerates and it takes all of the heat from a braking event. It turns that into charge in the battery and then the battery can quickly discharge upon exiting a turn. And that's why you'll see if you watch the race uh, and they're in quality, they'll, they'll do uh, you know, a lap to charge the battery pack and get it up to temperature, the tires and everything else. So it's, it's slightly different on a hybrid electric vehicle versus a full battery electric vehicle where they're able to charge and discharge throughout. And that teaches us a lot as well because we can see how the batteries perform, how the motors perform in the regenerative braking. You're doing a lot more stop and go, you know, ramping up to a few hundred kilometers an hour and then coming down to 50 or 80 very frequently on a, on a race course over, you know, a minute and a half. You're doing that five, six, 10, 12 times, uh, you know, that really teaches us a lot about the power electronics, the motor durability, the battery. So I, I think it's a really, really neat case for us to look at and see what can we do. And then how can we scale that battery pack up for the battery electric vehicle? So. It's, it's a lot of fun. And um, what are you seeing about the battery life? Because obviously Formula One is different in that probably they get a new battery pack every race or something probably. But how, what are you learning about how the batteries stand up to this sort of pressure and how to improve the life long term? Yeah. Actually, the FIA has done a really good job, not only on cost control, but also putting an emphasis on durability and sustainability. So there's actually a limit on the number of both power units and components that can be replaced each year. So it's more than just a, you know, back in the, the 90s or 80s, we could, you know, see a new motor go in each day of the race. That's no longer allowed. They have to use three power units throughout the course of the entire season. And there's a lot of stress. I mean, if you think about it, it's the ultimate torture test for electronic components and, uh, you know, for the, for the power unit. So we can't replace the traction motor. We can't replace the, the battery every race or every day. So they actually do have to have sustainability. So we can learn a lot for how do the components stand up to the hottest environments, the most demanding environments, and we can translate that. Chemistries are very different uh, between models on the road, between uh, race cars. Uh, there's a lot that we translate to road applications, but right now, we're seeing significant step change advancements uh, every few years in battery technology. And that's why today we can go hundreds of kilometers in a battery electric vehicle, whereas 30 years ago, you know, if you were to use a lead acid battery, we didn't have that available to us. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, Catherine, if you go back to New York City, I'll show my American bias, but if you go back to New York City, <laughs> In the early part of the uh, 20th century, the early 1900s, there were actually more electric vehicles on the road than there were petrol or gas-powered vehicles. Yeah, our, our first London taxis were electric vehicles. There you go. See? <laughs> there we go. So, I mean, it's incredible to think, but we just didn't have the right uh, power-to-weight ratio back then uh, to continue. And, and, and with the advent of, of a more efficient petrol vehicle with an automatic starter, it made sense to translate that. Now with the advancements that we're seeing in battery technology, uh, we can go much further. Now that means that there's battery with a lot of stored energy. So we look for how can our products like Kevlar and Nomex protect passengers, you know, race car drivers and motorsports, but also families in, in the road cars. And uh, 
uh, again, I think we're, we're doing an excellent job of keeping that forward progression on safety, performance, sustainability, and efficiency. So bringing it onto that, the safety aspect, you know, we want drivers and spectators to be safe when there's a race and yeah, we want our families to be safe in our road car. So what are you doing to improve that? And obviously you mentioned Kevlar, one of the most famous uh, safety type materials. So what, what part do material selection play in this? Uh, they're hugely critical and safety is, you know, the definition and the fabric of, of, of my business uh, in, in DuPont safety and construction where, where my automotive team is housed. And really when you think about uh, DuPont Kevlar and Nomex, uh, it, it's something that's been specified into the safety regulations for decades now. And we're constantly pushing the envelope. What is the latest generation? What, what is the latest iteration of, of product that we've developed? You know, if you look at aircraft, 100% of commercial aircraft incorporate Nomex honeycomb. Uh, you can find Nomex honeycomb all throughout a Formula One chassis. If you look at Kevlar, uh, the ability to have a high strength, flexible reinforcement or Nomex, you look at something that's inherently flame resistant. It's not a coating. It's not an application on top of a fabric, but the, the chemistry of the material itself is flame resistant. We can take that same fabric that we make Nomex firefighter suits or racing coveralls from, and we can turn it into a paper. And it's a great, fantastic electrical insulator to isolate kind of the, the high voltage battery pack or motor from arcing onto the chassis. So, uh, you know, it really is the fabric of who we are uh, is looking for safety solutions. And I, I don't know if you saw the, the, the incident a couple of weeks ago now with. Uh, yeah, he got out so well, bless him, Roman. He came out and thank goodness. Um, Cause yeah, it's been a while since we've had a crash like that. You know, it was horrific to watch. I, I watched the incident live, and uh, obviously, when they weren't cutting to the replay or showing what was going on, it was it was a, a very tense uh, period of time. And, and then uh, to, to see that not only uh, did, did he survive the accident, but his injuries relative to what they would have been 20 years ago, I think he would say were minor. Uh, it, it was it, I, it's not a miracle because a miracle dismisses the hard work that the engineers and scientists the FIA have put into all of the engineering. It's, it's an incredible feat and an achievement. And we're so fortunate uh, that through the advancements we've made, uh, you know, certainly the, the suit that he was wearing incorporated Nomex, uh, you know, to look at how he was able to crash and, and have an impact, uh, have the survival cell stay intact, have the halo there to protect him. Yeah have his yeah, helmet he, and his crash gear, yeah. gloves. Uh, he, he was quite vocal against the halo at the start. So it's been incredibly interesting to see how, you know, this is it. The engineers know what they're doing when they're proposing changes like this. You know, it's really hard because until you see the event, it, it's difficult to understand. And, you know, you don't typically take an F1 car, put a driver in it and crash uh, you know, into a barrier at those high speeds. We do have the front crash test though, and we do have the rear crash test. And again, the FIA have put so much into developing these tests to protect the safety. And I think this was a testament to that. DuPont has had our, our testing for, for decades where we have a Thermoman cell. And if you go, we, we have a number of them throughout the world, but over in, in Switzerland, we have one. 
and will take protective garments like the racing suit or if you work in industry and, and you're asked to wear a Nomex suit, we can put it on a mannequin and then we can uh, buy flames and you know, we, we can share the video uh, with the listeners as well. But it, when, when you see this, you can, we have all the different temperature sensors in the suit and you can see mm -hmm. what happens if you were to just wear a typical cotton attire or what happens when you're wearing the Nomex and the temperature delta and how long, and then you turn off the flames and you see that one is relatively unscathed compared to the other that's burnt to a crisp. And, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's a very good visual. It's a powerful visual for why improving the PPE, the personal protective equipment is so critical to worker safety. It's fascinating. And that's again, things that filter down throughout the process from say a, a race driver all the way through to a fireman and to guys on the front line in other areas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, a Formula One vehicle, uh, you know, if you're trying to protect the driver there, they might be looking for a balance. Again, it's, it's performance versus safety versus, uh, you know, what can you do effectively and still be able to perform. So uh, we look at that in a firefighter, uh, you know, you're able to take a lot of the same technologies that we apply in firefighting and put them into uh, motorsports application and then vice versa. We may learn something from aerospace that we can apply into road cars. So we'll look at those same types of technologies uh, and, and we'll continue to translate those. And again, you have the inventors of the technology. We're not uh, taking a chemistry and, and you know just making a few tweaks. We're inventing the, the chemistry. We're inventing the technology. So that's why it's, I think we're in a unique position to partner with teams like the Renault F1 team or group Renault and kind of push the envelope on, on what can we do with it. How has the COVID-19 experience shaped your work this year? Has it meant that the engineers had to work in different ways? Has it meant you've experimented with new technologies that maybe were on the back burner before, but now they've come to the fore? Yeah, you know, I think uh, obviously 2020 more than interesting, it's been a tremendous challenge for everyone. Um, when you rely heavily on not only your manufacturing capabilities, but your labs and your testing, uh, it, it presents just a tremendous challenge. And really our, our focus is, is first and foremost on the safety and well-being of our team members. So we can't have a full packed lab. We've moved a lot of our collaboration sessions to the virtual environment. And we've relied heavily on uh, you know, the different technologies that we have in information technology to meet regularly around the clock. We have our teams, whether it's in uh, Asia or Europe or the, the Americas, all working together and collaborating virtually, uh, literally 24 seven almost. So uh, we use the pandemic and, and the outbreak there to, to really network together with our, our own internal team, our partners, our labs, have more sessions on brainstorming, understand what can we do. Uh, and of course, our, our business, uh, although when we talk about automotive, we focus on Nomex and Kevlar. We do have our DPP business, which is our uh, protective equipment business, where there are Tyvek garments. And, you know, I think it's over a million has been provided uh, to different workers throughout. So we, we look at not only what are we doing uh, in motorsports, but what can we learn from our extensions or adjacencies in the business and how can we bring that forward? So I think uh, the team has done a tremendous job. It's certainly been a, a very big challenge. It's, it's a new world for all of us. But even, uh, you know, our partnership with Renault has stayed strong. We have regular engagements. 
we meet with the team, uh, the race team, a couple times a week uh, formally, and then certainly informally throughout the week, shooting back different ideas. And we've, we've found ways to move forward. So have you found that the availability of raw materials has suffered at all or that you've had issues surrounding availability of products? You know, certainly, you know, manufacturing can be a challenge in a year like this as we focus on the safety of our team. But no, we, we've had uh, our, our plants, we've been very fortunate that we've continued to produce wow. throughout the year. We have the material availability. We've continued our R&D. Uh, we've continued to push the envelope on what we can do and really been able to run scouting tests. I know just this week, in Europe, we have some testing going on for next generation hybrid electric traction motor materials and what can we do. So we're very excited to see the results of that. We're able to find a way to do it safely and we're, we're continuing to make forward progress. So quite pleased. Excellent. So um, you're working hard on decarbonization and bringing vehicles to the next generation. What have you been enjoying the most about this project? You keep talking to me about it being huge fun. What, <laughs> you know, what's been fun? <laughs> you know, it, it's when you look at a material that we have off the shelf, and if, if, if you were to go and you were to look for a DuPont material, we have published catalogs and you can go and you can page through. And, you know, we're very fortunate that we have a, a pretty broad portfolio. But when you're working with, F1 and they say very clearly, this is our goal. This is what we're trying to do. This is what we need. And it's aspirational. It, it's something that's never been thought of before. Uh, because, you know, if, if you're talking about, um, you know, a performance characteristic that a road car might look for, it's, it's the next level, right? It's a step change in order to gain that differentiation. So for us, it's very easy to see how while it might be a step change or a stretch in Formula One today, it could be what unlocks greater fuel efficiency on the road car tomorrow. So we have people now pushing us and we push them and it's very collaborative in that way. And that's why this is so fruitful for us both. Mm -hmm. When we find a technology and we unlock something here in motorsports, the thought that we can translate that to road car, and we have you know, real examples of that, as you mentioned, carbon fiber, but also anti-lock braking systems. If we look at carbon ceramic brakes, if we look at a lot of the technologies, uh, you know, power electronics, high switching frequencies. Uh, you know, came that, through. So many different, different options. And if we can find a way to unlock the next motor architecture that gets us uh, a little more efficiency or the next battery that gets us a, a little longer range or quicker charging time. Th those are real tangible benefits where we can go and, and through the testing that we've had in Formula One, we, we can uh, really revolutionize the road car. And that, that's why it is such fun because it's, uh, you know, I'm an engineer by schooling and, and, and to see what this does and to see how it can really further, uh, you know, an unprecedented change in automobile is, is exciting. So what's next for your partnership? What can you reveal about what you might be looking at and where you're going? Yeah, continue to push the envelope. So we have established working groups at both uh, Endstone, where the Renault F1 team works on their chassis development, as well as at Viri, just outside of Paris, where they work on their power unit. Um, our teams meet regularly, and we have focus areas, and it's in the 
electric powertrain side, it's in the battery side, and it's in the lightweighting and the chassis side, as well as, of course, the PPE, because that's core to what we do. So we look and we have identified projects in each of those areas where we're partnering and we have a regular work stream of new developments and new products. And then we have a mirrored setup at the Group Renault side where we discuss uh, areas very similar to what I mentioned for the F1 team. And we're able to look at some of those technologies and see how they translate through. So I think we'll continue to push the envelope. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, getting into the specifics, I, I'll uh, keep Renault happy with me and not have them too upset. I, I won't give too much away. But continuing to push on those areas and continue to see what we can do uh, to unlock even greater potential. Um, you know, Catherine, we, we talk about sustainability. Uh, everyone yearns for the sound of the old V8 era, the V10 era. You always hear that. From an engineering standpoint, though, I mean, uh, you look at the thermal efficiency of, of the, the outgoing internal combustion engines, and they were 30, 35% thermally efficient. And you, you look at now where the hybrid electric uh, V6s are, it's a 1.6 liter V6 uh, or turbo hybrid that makes a thousand horsepower and is 50 to 55% thermally efficient. That's incredible. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it, it, it really is. So every percentage that we unlock there, if we can find one or 2% and we can unlock that on a road car, uh, mm -hmm. the, the type of emission savings that we have globally are just uh, orders of magnitude uh, improved. So really uh, looking forward to seeing that continue. Excellent. And are you guys getting involved in battery recycling and how we make the most of circularity of materials at all? Yeah, absolutely. We actually at DuPont uh, in safety and construction, we have a second life materials group. So we look at our products and we look at what can we do after uh, maybe the first primary use and what can we do to continue the life. So we have materials with, with Kevlar, you know, Kevlar is often thought of as the protective material, but I'm not sure if you're aware, Kevlar was originally invented as a lightweight reinforcement for mm -hmm. steel belting and tires. So it was actually a, a reinforcement fiber there, uh, but it's also used as a replacement for asbestos in brake pads and clutch discs. And at that point, it's, it's, it's chopped up and cut up as a pulp. Right. It's used as an additive in those materials. So there's a lot of times where we can take back uh, and repurpose some of our primary use materials and have a second life for them. Similarly, with our paper grades, uh, like I mentioned, we make uh, Nomex paper. We can take some of those materials and turn them uh, into pulp and make, make paper out of them. So we continue to look at that. We continue to look now with the, the volume of batteries that are being uh, produced in the marketplace. What can we do and what could be next? So yeah, it's very key to us. It's an area where we continue to grow. We continue to learn. But uh, our Second Life Materials Group continues to find new ways to have that circular uh, economy or, or circular environmental uh, return for us. Excellent. And are they finding that the microstructure and the properties change much? or So are they having to find new uses for things? Or can they return back to be as good quality as the virgin materials? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's a mixture of both. Uh, when you're looking at a continuous fiber reinforcement like you would have for a Nomex fire suit, you likely would not want to have that go back into the same application. You do need the high quality, same material. But when you're looking at something that's an additive in a pulp form, 
you may have that continuous fiber where you need the real strength in the first application, but it might be great in the second application to uh, use it as pulp and repurpose it there. So I think there are uh, programs where it's very similar in performance if the application is right. And I think there are some where a first grade material because it's, you know, relates to personal safety is pretty vital. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, just stay tuned. Uh, as we continue to work on our new materials, as we continue this partnership, I think you're going to see some new products uh, come out on the road cars. And I think there's going to be some new opportunities uh, from a personal protective equipment and from a uh, car architecture safety standpoint that we're going to continue to move forward. And we're going to continue to have uh, next generation products, next generation lines. And I, I think uh, we're all learning a lot from one another. So uh, I'm very, uh, as you can tell, very excited about the opportunity and uh, I, I look forward to uh, hopefully connecting with you at a future date to talk about what we can do on next generation batteries, maybe, or next generation Absolutely. motor design. I'd love to. This is it. You see, you must, you, all your friends must always be badgering you and asking <laughs> you, what are you up to? And uh, yeah, wanting to get all the trade secrets in there. <laughs> so, uh, I'd, I'd love to chat again and find out more about what DuPont are up to. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks, Catherine. It, you know, it's a lot of fun. I'm very fortunate that automotive is, is a hobby of mine. I'm a car enthusiast outside, but I get to work with uh, some of the leading edge, uh, you know, or, uh, cutting edge technology and, and really be able to progress uh, something that's a once in a generation shift. I mean, you're talking about the move from pure petrol or internal combustion engines to every vehicle uh, within 20 years. Uh, you know, I, I see the UK uh, is, is pushing the envelope even further, right? 2030 is the new regulation yeah. that they're moving forward. That's, that's when we stop selling the traditional combustion engine. And yeah, we, you know, and then hybrids get a few years longer before the big switch off. It's incredible, so, isn't it? Yeah. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, I think when we put our collective minds to it, we really can do anything. And that's, that's what we're seeing is it's not easy. The shift is not going to happen overnight, but uh, you know, you've seen what we've really a, a global collective over the past 100 years and the technology that's come forward. I, I think we're going to do the same thing here and we're going to reduce our dependency on uh, some of the fossil fuels. We're going to increase our efficiency and we're really going to move forward. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, that's it. And uh, obviously there'll be a, a leadership change in the US coming into January. So we'll see what new policies come out as well. Well, uh, you know, President-elect Biden lives down the road here. So uh, here in Wilmington, Delaware. So we're, uh, we're looking forward to seeing what we can do and how we can partner with, with both the governments here as well as abroad to, to help explain what's possible and, and, and what we can do to uh, continue in this journey of sustainability. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, it, I'll look forward to hearing what your engineers are, are up to and what the guys in the lab have developed. So thank you, Carlo, for being such an enthusiastic guest and talking me through what DuPont are up to. It's been a joy talking to you and I hope that the weather improves in the US soon. Thanks, Catherine. It was a pleasure. For more information about us, visit iom3.org. Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at IOM3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, 
please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.